Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I am Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about alfalfa insects and just insects in general and various crops. If you've got any questions for us about anything we're going to talk about today or anything happening on your farm right now, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. All right, so alfalfa insects are number one thing whenever we're talking about insects, at least above ground insects, is you got to scout. Please be out there and be out there early. Here's when we usually get the calls. It's when somebody's cutting and they go, wow, I got a lot of bugs out here. (laughs) Yep, you do. You probably had them, though, three or four days earlier when you could have sprayed and then killed all the bugs prior to the cutting because now the trouble is, all right, if you you just laid your alfalfa down, you can't spray it now. The shortest pre-harvest interval that I know of anyway is Mustang Max at three days. A lot of the pyrethroids are seven days. And there are some insecticides that you can use that are even longer for a pre-harvest interval. In other words, you have to spray it so many days prior to your cutting. So uh, then what ends up happening is these bugs are allowed to feed on your crop until you get that alfalfa picked up. And then until you are able to get out there again and spray. So anyway... I, I guess, like even on our own farm, I'll just tell you, we put in about 500 acres of alfalfa last year, and Darren was just out there last week and gave me some good news, saying, hey, I don't see any bugs. But here's the thing. It was a cold spring, so we know that we're behind on growing degree units, growing degree days, and the way insects work is once you hit a certain number of growing degree units, in other words, once there's a certain amount of heat, then all of a sudden the bugs show up. So I'm fully expecting that by next week, the bugs are going to be showing up. So we may be spraying next week. We're going to see. But we got to keep scouting, and we definitely want to be scouting before the first cutting. The worst insect that we can get in alfalfa around here is alfalfa weevil larvae. Now, when I talk to a lot of farmers and even agronomists, they'll say, yeah, I got alfalfa weevil. And I go, wait a second. Do you have the alfalfa weevil or do you have the uh, have the larvae? The weevil is the adult stage. That's what you're typically going to see later in the year. They are much more difficult to kill. So if you've got weevils, we got a problem. If you just have the larvae, no big deal. 99% of the time, a full rate of a cheap pyrethroid for like $3 is going to take them out. Now, if you do have some resistant alfalfa weevil larvae, you can use something like Stewart or there are other products out there too. They're going to cost a little bit more money, but you got to get these things under control. They're bad. In addition to the feeding damage that a lot of these alfalfa insects can create out in your field, and you lose a little bit of tonnage that way and maybe some quality, the, the problem is either they'll inject disease into the plant, some of them are known carriers of disease, or the other thing is they can just open the plant up. So you've got all these open wounds, and then disease is more likely to get in. So either way, it is not a good thing. And I would just tell you, our threshold, whenever we talk about a threshold for any insect, is always going to be based on economics. It's an economic threshold. So we don't just have random thresholds. We're always looking at, okay, how much is it going to cost to spray? How much can we gain in return? 
And those are our big factors. So if we are looking at poor prices for alfalfa and hay, then obviously we got to have a few more bugs. If we're looking at a high cost for insecticide, we got to have a few more bugs to justify treatment. But when we're talking about spraying for alfalfa insects, I would just say this. We aren't just looking for one bug. We're looking for any harmful bug out in the field. So if we've got some alfalfa weevil larvae, we've got some grasshoppers, we see some leaf hoppers, whatever else it is that's plus, harmful, we add those all together. Plus bean leaf beetles, Brian. That's another one that, that we often see start out in alfalfa fields and then move out as other crops start emerging. I mean, you think about it, bean leaf beetles are overwintering and they pop up out of the ground. What are they going to feed on? Well, it's pretty tough to find a soybean yet, so they're feeding on the alfalfa until they can get over there. So a lot of times, as soon as the first cutting of grass hay or alfalfa hay is made, you see a wave of bugs moving out of those fields into other fields around them. You can wipe them out in the alfalfa and be done and get paid to do it because alfalfa is worth so much money, it's an easy return on investment. Okay, so let's say you don't raise alfalfa and you're going, oh, I don't know, this show isn't going to help me a whole lot today. Well, look. I don't care what your crop is. Insects can be harmful. They can do the same thing in any other crop, just like they can in alfalfa. They can harm your foliage. They can reduce your tonnage or grain yield. They can reduce your quality. They can inject disease into the plant, or they can just open the plant up so it's more likely to get disease. These are all bad things. And I guess the number one point that I'm always trying to bring up to everybody when I talk to them about insects is we got, we've got to focus on the economics, and we want to try to be on the early side rather than on the late side. If you've already got all kinds of damage out in the field, sure, you can go spray, but we've always kind of called that a revenge kill. <laughs> you already lost your yield and lost the money. So it might make you feel better to kill the bugs, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of good at that point. So try to be out there on a regular basis. And the other thing along with that is some of these bugs move fast. Whether it's army worms or grasshoppers, or there are a number of other bugs out there too that they, it seems like, oh, they're not here today. And a few days later, you go out there and it's like overwhelming how many there are. So you just have to try to keep an eye on your fields on a regular basis, listen to reports in your area if any bugs are showing up that are kind of out of the ordinary. Because that's one of the things too. Sometimes there are new bugs that show up and you go, what the heck? I've never even heard of this bug before. And all of a sudden it's doing all this damage in my crop. So you got to kind of pay attention just a little bit to the, the latest agronomic news out there because we've had that on our farm. Woolly bears one year. I remember the first year thistle caterpillars showed up. Heck, I mean, 15 years ago, we hadn't even sprayed for bean leaf beetles on our farm. We have to spray just about every year now or make sure we have seed treatment or do something for bean leaf beetles. So, I, I mean, there are all these different insects that can harm your crop. So we're going to talk about a variety of them today. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. Back with multi-year proven results, Torque drives performance. Unique to other biologicals, Torque can be applied with other chemistries. Use in furrow or side dress to increase mycorrhizal associations, enhancing root development. Learn more about Torque at thinkbiological.com or contact your local retailer and ask for Torque today. Novozymes BioAg, Think Biological. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. 
with three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab. It's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Hi, I'm Greg Souter at 360 Yield Center. It's painful to pay high prices for nitrogen. Even more painful to know that a chunk of the end will not be there when the plant needs it. The solution is 360 Y-Drop. With 360 Y-Drop, you apply right before the plant's rapid uptake cycle. You can adjust your rate, resupply lost nitrogen, or cut the rate if conditions are right. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about insects in alfalfa that you need to watch out for this season. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Start off down in Arizona, got Jose Cabrera on with us right now with BASF. How you doing, Jose? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Talking alfalfa insects today. And, you know, there's some really problem insects in alfalfa. I guess that's part of the deal with the permanent crop, right? There's always a food source out there for the bugs. Absolutely. It is very much a permanent crop here in Arizona because it can be harvested multiple times. So that creates a lot of issues, but a lot of opportunities, too. All right, when you look at that, and, and I've been in alfalfa fields in Arizona, it is nothing like alfalfa in South Dakota where we're hoping to get three cuttings. Uh, in, in Arizona, what do you get, eight cuttings, ten cuttings? Yeah, I've seen uh, where you can get north of ten cuttings. It's uh, really due to the weather, just the, the, you know, the heat and the dry weather, that we can get that uh, good amount of harvest and good quality too. We just think you guys want to work harder down there, Jose. That's all it is to it. Arizona, just <laughs> no end to the work there. All right. Not so, at all. Not so, at all. So talk to us about the bugs then. Is this something where every cutting you're scouting for bugs? Do you have certain times of year that they hit a little harder? Uh, yes, uh, pretty much. You are scouting uh, multiple times uh, throughout the season. And, uh, you know, you're just uh, scouting. It's a common practice uh, for uh, our Arizona Pest Control Advisors. That, and uh, it's, it's something that you have to do. It's, it's, a, it's an activity that it just never stops. You know, when, when you're looking for insects, which particular ones are the absolute worst? For us, it's alfalfa weevil larvae and potato leafhoppers. But uh, what do you fight the most down in Arizona? 
Yeah, so in Arizona, we had a really big AFID problem with a, we call it an AFID complex, which uh, involves uh, PAFID, Cal PAFID, blue alfalfa AFID, um, and other other types. But uh, it, it's just a constant battle between AFIDs. Uh, we have a big warm complex with cottonworms, caterpillars, army worms. Also, um, the, yeah, of course, the weevil. Weevil is a big problem. And uh, also leafhoppers, uh, whatever, whatever is either alfalfa for hay or for seed, you also have issues with ligus, white flies, and uh, other insects. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a diverse set of bugs. So talk to us about uh, insecticides and solutions that growers are using. Is it mainly pyrethroids we're going with, or, or are there a lot of different modes of action? There's a lot of modes of action. Uh, Pyrethroids, there's still your uh, usual suspect organophosphates, but um, within our uh, BSF portfolio, we have a wide portfolio for insecticides, fungicides, and herbicides, and our, our key insecticide for alfalfa is safina, and uh, safina has also um, a, a brother called Bursis, which is for the produce industry here in, in Arizona and in, in California. So um, safina... It's a very unique uh, product that BSF has in the in our portfolio, and that's the product that is the go-to product for alfalfa. You know, when you you mentioned fungicides there as well, I know we're talking insects today, and and in a lot of other crops, as we're spraying for bugs, we're seeing some nice gains putting fungicides out at that timing too. Uh, what is what's the strategy on the the fungicides with alfalfa when you're getting that many cuttings? Is it a early season thing? Is it some every cutting, or or how do growers do that? Yeah, usually. Uh, kind of like after the third and fifth cutting, but uh, you're always trying to stay ahead of the game because there's that microclimate. Well, we don't get a lot of rain here in the desert. You do you use a lot of water through the flood irrigation and alfalfa. You get that microclimate, you can get a lot of diseases, but also you want to prevent that summer's long period that happens throughout July, uh, like mid-July, August uh, season, and that summer slump can really impact alfalfa. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's fun talking to, to folks in different parts of the country and different parts of the world about just the challenges they face. And I, I thought we got hot here in July, but <laughs> nothing like what you get to face down there, Jose. So I, I get it. The summer slump would be a big deal right in the middle of the growing season. And if you want to have success, gosh, you're only halfway there. You got a whole bunch more cuttings that you want to take out of the alfalfa. So great talking to you today, Jose, and uh, good luck to you guys heading into the warmer part of the season. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, great stuff there. It's it's fun talking about all the different bugs and and uh, all the bugs that Jose was talking about are things that that we'll see in different parts of the country too. So if you say, "Oh no, that's just in the south," no, 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 we see a lot of those same types of bugs moving their way north. Got Bill Verbaden on with us right now with FMC. How you doing, Bill? Can't complain. Life's doing. Life's going well. Good, good. Well, uh, my life's going pretty well too because I just scouted the alfalfa fields on our farm, and I don't see any bugs. Bill, this is wonderful, but I know that my luck is not going to last. Yeah, well, buy a lotto ticket because uh, my my alfalfa was looking the same this morning when I put out a fungicide trial. FMC's looking at a expanding a uh, a little bit of a use of one of our products and. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll put some fungicides out ahead of first and second cut and see uh, if it's worth pursuing that further. But yeah, I mean the bugs are 
seem like they're really coming in farther south of you and I down in southern Iowa. The Weevil just seem to be coming right out of the gate pretty strong this year. You know what? It's it's just one of those things that you know is going to happen. You've got alfalfa. There are going to be some bugs that are going to try to get in there. And like you mentioned with fungicides, we can plan ahead. We can pick timings. And I know uh, Jose Cabrera was talking about, hey, uh, third cutting, fifth cutting down in, in Arizona. Uh, maybe in the north, it's first and second cutting that we go after. But with insects, we just have to keep an eye on things. We have to scout. We have to look for bugs. And when we find them, we've got to treat. But it's tricky, Bill, because because we're cutting every 28 days. So how do you recommend going about it? Well, I think it's, it's also important just to realize where we're at because the upper Midwest is even going to be a little uh, different than the Great Plains transition zone where some of my colleagues have been overrun with weevil, um, you know, well before we even started thinking about it. So, I mean, up here, I mean, we're, we're still going to scout. And, I mean, hopefully it's dry enough ahead of first cut where we could make a pass. But let's face it. Um, there's some times where, you know, we may want to get out, but we're going to run up our alfalfa fields if we, if we pull the trigger on first cut. So you got to get out and scout and you take your sweep net. And, you know, if you're from Wisconsin, like me, you make a W pattern of 10 spot, or if you're, you know, from Minnesota, you, you make your M and, you know, you talk to Oli and Lena and make sure you got it all oriented. Right. But the, the, the thing is, you just got to get out and look. And really, Weevils, it's a first-cut deal in the upper Midwest. And we've been having a lot of success with Stewart EC. Um, it's a different mode of action. It's a group 22. It's almost the opposite of a pyrethroid. And so when we go out and hit it at 8 to 11 ounces, if, we're, if we have a lot of weevil pressure ahead of first cut, it's been really effective for us. All right, so I like Mustang Max myself, Bill. It's still working on our farm three-day window before harvest, which is kind of nice, too. How about Steward? What is that a seven-day? Yeah, like a lot of products, it's a seven-day. And, you know, if you don't have high weevil pressure, your Mustang Max at around that four-ounce rate is going to be a, a, a lock for aphids. And, you know, as we get into second and third cut, it's a great product for alfalfa weevil, um, you know, or um, I'm sorry, potato leafhopper. Um, there have been some studies looking at potential pyrethroid resistance to potato leaf hopper, but thankfully so far, Mustang Max has not has not had any reduction in efficacy uh, for that pest, especially with second and uh, third cut as we get into the height of the summer. So it's really kind of a, what pest do you have and then what product you go with. So that's where if weevil pressure is low to moderate, just stick with your Mustang Max if you're on that train and, you know, keep your steward in reserve if it's if you have uh an outbreak and an infestation of weevils. Well, it is nice using products that do have some residual because uh, we don't want to be out there every day or anything like that. We usually get one shot per cutting to be able to do some of these things. And, and uh, Bill's bringing up Steward, which is a, a pretty interesting product. We're seeing that used for corn rootworm beetles and other uses around the industry. So, uh, Bill Verbeaton, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. Take care, and I hope your fields stay clean. Yes, I do too. That makes it a lot more fun to farm. We'll talk more about alfalfa insects coming up right after this. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. 
This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no! Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Talking Insects today, specifically alfalfa insects on our show. And we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. And honestly, I saw the topic of the day was alfalfa insects. And I said, man, I hope Jeff Whitworth is on with Kansas State. And by golly, he is. Jeff, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Sure. My pleasure. All right, I hear that you're already starting to see alfalfa weevil larvae in Kansas and that the pressure's bad and we really need to watch out up here. Is that just a rumor or is that actual reality? You know what? Uh, I've been dealing with alfalfa weevils for 40-some years, and this is probably the worst I've seen. Oh, now, no. the caveat with that is it's been really uh, – the drought has also stressed the plants – so when the when the larvae feed on the plants, the plants don't recover like they have in the past, you know. So the the infestation's really bad, and the drought stress plants is not helping them to recover. And matter of fact, we're just now getting some rain today, um, and hopefully that will help. But really and truly, our alfalfa weevil infestation is about over 
for the southern half of the state from about I-70 or 36 Highway up your A, up your way. Uh, there's about two more weeks to go for the larvae to be feeding, and then they'll start pupating and become adults. But right now, seriously, it we've had a really bad infestation, as I said, that's coupled with the drought also. Yeah, drought is is a tough thing. And I know my dad grew up in north central Iowa and moved to South Dakota to my mom's family farm. And he said, oh, man, I thought I was moving to the end of the world. It never rained and rain was fixing all my <laughs> problems and mistakes. And he said, I couldn't get I couldn't buy rain when I needed it. But uh, I, I know what you mean. When when you have drought conditions, you just can't afford weeds or insects or diseases robbing things. So that that stinks for uh, for everyone in Kansas been fighting that and, and the surrounding it, it does it just it just adds to the damage that the insects are doing it just you know causes more of a problem we planted corn plots in dryland corn two weeks ago and they have not germinated yet that's how dry and uh, it's just we just need rain you know yeah yeah absolutely okay jeff uh, alfalfa weevil larvae certainly uh First cutting, we're really worried about alfalfa weevil larvae. Once we get into second and third cuttings, we're we're looking for potato leafhoppers and armyworms and other things. What are some of the other bugs you think will be the next wave coming through? Well, what we're seeing now are P. aphids, and that's generally um, goes along with the uh, alfalfa weevil. You know, when you spray for weevils, you kill all the beneficials. And early in the year, the P. aphid is the first aphid that comes around in the alfalfa, and they are actually uh, exploding right now. I think it's going to be, and they're a cool weather insect, so I think it's going to be warm enough that that shouldn't be a problem. But everybody has sprayed at least once or twice for weevils, so there are no beneficials left. And after P. aphids, then we have the other aphids. We're, we're starting to see a few spotted aphids, uh, alfalfa aphids. Those come along a little bit later in the summer and then the cowpea aphids, and uh, that's kind of the evolution of the aphid uh, problem in, in the alfalfa because it starts, well, I shouldn't say it starts, but it's acerbated by the spraying of the weevil, which you have to do because um, it kills the, the lady beetles and the green lacewings, kills all the uh, other beneficials. And then you're right. I, I, I think probably um, this year, if we don't get any rain, the aphids are really going to, the, their damage is going to show up even more than normal. And then the potato leafhoppers come in generally in Kansas, oh, in in first part of June, um, something like that. And they just add to the damage because they can damage the plants two different ways. As you know, they can suck the juice out of the plant, but when they're doing that, they also introduce a toxin to the plant. And a lot of times that's in the the warm part of the year, and a lot of our growers don't realize that the uh, damage, the yellowing of the plant is not due to heat and drought stress. It's due to the toxin caused by the potato leafhopper. So that's that's kind of the evolution of our pest, at least uh, in alfalfa. We're just now finishing up with weevils, um, and the, the P. aphids are getting started pretty good. Hopefully, it'll get too warm for them, and hopefully um, the other pests won't come along but right now that's kind of the situation we're in all right talk to us a little about this jeff because we're hearing in some areas where alfalfa weevil larvae are 
are showing some resistance to the pyrethroid chemistry. We're hearing other areas. I know our, our neighbors over in Minnesota say soybean aphids are showing some resistance to pyrethroids. Are, are you seeing py, pyrethroid resistance? Because I know a lot of alfalfa growers really like to use the pyrethroid just because they've got such a short PHI. Well, it, we, we did an assay this year with uh, the pyrethroids, and we didn't find any uh, resistance in, in the lab, a, a little assay in the bottles. And we've done that, oh, every three or four years because I hear that also. That's the first thing everybody attributes poor performance to is insecticide resistance. But uh, I did, in, in our plots this year, I did use uh, different gallon inches of water. I, I normally use 15 gallons when I put out our insecticide trials, and I put one plot out with eight gallons. And there's a big difference in the amount of damage in the eight gallons of car water carrier than there is in the 15. So a lot of the damage we see is because these, these insecticides are contact insecticides. So you got to get the insecticide in the canopy to where the, those little larvae are to kill them. Um, and they're not that easy to kill, just even though they're not resistant, you know, even though they're susceptible, you still have to get it to them. So you got to use enough carrier. I'm a big proponent of making sure you use enough water or enough carrier to get to get the insecticide to where the the larvae are. And so we've not seen any insecticide resistance yet, although, like you said, I keep hearing about it, um, but we've we've done oh four different uh, four different assays over the last yep. twelve years, and we've not seen any insecticide resistance yet, but yep. it's always a possibility. Yeah, well, thanks for checking that. We really do appreciate all the work you do, Jeff. Uh, one one other question that I've got. Soybean gall midge larvae, and I know this is something a lot of our growers in Nebraska talk to, talk about on the show and, and in other surrounding areas. How about Kansas? You guys noticing anything yet, or is it a little too early yet to see those uh, midge larvae or midge flies flying around? Yes, um, we have not seen them in Kansas yet. Um, we have a group that was uh, very vigilant about that last year uh, up along kind of along the Kansas-Nebraska border and we so far knock on wood have not had the problem and hopefully it'll stay north of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah protect that border Jeff keep them keep them up in Nebraska. <laughs> Well, I've been talking. We'll build a good wall. Yeah, there you go. We've been. If that worked, <laughs> if we could just build a wall at the end of our fields and keep yeah. them, uh, keep them out, that'd be wonderful. Uh, we got Jeff there, Wentworth there on here with Kansas State. <laughs> Always a, a wealth of information on different insects and and what's going on out there. Jeff, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Thanks for what you do, and good luck you're heading into the season. Sure, thank you. My pleasure. Brian, uh, you know, a lot of things with alfalfa, and I think Jeff made a great point there. A lot of times we think, oh, man, that chemistry doesn't work anymore, and we just didn't get great coverage because it is hard to get down to the ground on alfalfa where you need to to kill all those weevil larvae. I say it all the time. I, I mean, I just said it yesterday, even with Roundup. I, I mean, a lot of times we do not see resistance. Now, we may see tolerance, and then the other big issue that we have is rate because even though pyrethroids are really – inexpensive. It's, I think, just the farmer in all of us that says, you know, the rate range is 3.2 to 3.84 with some of these really cheap pyrethroids. 
I'm I'm gonna run three two. That that should be good enough. Well, it's not good enough, and it literally would cost you like fifty cents more to go to the three point eight four. Just go with the higher rate, please, and then you don't have as much worry. You're gonna get a better kill, and you're gonna leave a little bit more residual. So, anyway, yes, spray coverage is a big thing. Rate is a big thing, and then certainly the weather too plays a role in all that. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about insects today, but we're going to get to your questions as well in the Ag PhD mailbag. This is Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we've been talking about alfalfa insects, but we'd be more than happy to take your questions if you have anything you want to talk to us about that's happening on your farm. 
we got Robert calling in next here. He's from Illinois. Hey, Robert, how are you today? Doing great. Had about an inch and a half, two inches of rain, and, and it's warm, and the sun's even shining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could use maybe a half an inch to an inch of rain. That would be nice. Get all the prees activated and get all the seed that's laying in dry dirt right now. Uh, get that going. But we've kind of missed out on the rains here for the last couple of weeks. So, Robert, what can we do for you today? Okay, I've got a corn herbicide question. Yep. It, we uh, strip till corn into bean stubble. Yep. Previously, we've not been using a fall spray okay. in, in spite of your advice to the contrary, but <laughs> we're, we're coming around. Um, so what we've done uh, without a fall spray, we go out early in the spring or at planting time with a, a burn down, a dicamba and glyphosate. Sure. And then at B three-ish time period, come back with glyphosate and meso and atrazine. Okay. It's been working pretty well for us but the weakness that showed up this year obviously is a poor kill with burn down on the in really cold temperatures that we had yeah per- particularly with hen bit and what we call yellow rocket and okay. we've got a landlord that doesn't let us use atrazine and so we burnt down with verdict hoping to you know kill the weeds that were there and, and leave a good residual mm-hmm. kind of layer up more like what we're doing on soybeans sure and it did such a good job that it's got me thinking about switching to, we've got the equipment down to do fall spraying. And so would I, how's this sound to you? Sure. When that was a pint of dicamba in the fall, Okay. maybe Brian's going to say more. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe Robert. <laughs> well, go, go uh, ahead, go ahead. What else you got? <laughs> following, then following up the planter with 10 ounces of verdict over the top yep. with the MSO. And then coming back at B3 or when applicable uh, with glyphosate, meso, and atrazine. Yep. Uh, Sound okay? Yeah, that is that is a fantastic program. The only thing that you may need to do, depending on how well the fall banville works, is bump that rate a little bit. A pint will probably do it. We've gone to a court just to make sure that we've got all the mare's tail and all those winter annuals. I mean, like a hundred percent dead, not kind of dead, right. completely dead. And then also we leave a little bit of residual too. So that would be my only other comment, but yeah, verdict's a great pre and then post-emerge. I mean, meso's great, atrazine, glyphosate. And for the landlord that doesn't want the atrazine, you can certainly just do the meso and the glyphosate. Cause you've already got a couple other modes of action out there pre. So no, I think right. it's a good that, idea. That's um, we've, we've been struggling this one landlord for, for years with the atrazine component. Now, you'd mentioned a few weeks back that, that you're using acetochlor. Um, is yep. that right? For, yes. Uh, yes. Is the lack of rain the main issue, that uh, yes. less rain to get it activated, the reason you like it? Yes. So in Verdict, okay. you're... Yep, in Verdict, you're going to have Outlook. And Outlook is a fine product. It's just not quite as strong on small-seeded broadleaves as Surpass. Not a big difference, but a little. And it takes just a little bit more rain to activate the Outlook. But we've used Outlook many times in the past, and we still do. It's okay. I just I prefer the Acetochlor, but it's it's no real big deal. Okay. And with the residual effect of the Sharpen and with the Verdict, the, the small-seeded, the yep. water hemp. Yes. That overcomes any weakness that the outlook would have on that. Yes. Okay. Oh, one Appreciate other. Your time. Oh yeah. Oh, hey, hey, me, hey, one other. Me a bill. 
Sorry, I, I, sorry. One other thing, Robert. I was just going to throw out there yeah. that atrazine that you said. Uh, a quarter of a pound, a lot of times, is all it takes to make meso r- work really well. So I don't know what rate you're normally running, and I don't know about this uh, landlord that doesn't like the atrazine. But even if you just say, "Look, how about if I just go with a quarter of a pound?" Would you be okay with yeah. that? Because that'll be just enough to get that meso really working well. So it, it doesn't take a whole lot. No big expense or anything else. No carryover risk with right. that. We we typically run a quarter to a half pound. Okay. But- his, his situation is more of a phobia than it is a. Um, it, it just if it showed up on the bill, then we would have a problem. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Well, fortunately, we have plenty of other ways to kill weeds, yep. so no real big concern. All right. Hey, Robert. Thanks, thanks a lot for calling thanks in. Very much. Appreciate it. You bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways to to do it, and I just encourage you. I, I love what Robert's doing there of, hey, let's try something just a little bit different. We're open to trying it. We tried well, it this way. It wasn't working the greatest. Why not try something different? See if you can get a little better. Okay, but here's the big thing. When you go to strip till or no-till, it's just like the issue that we had on our farm. All of a sudden, we're fighting new weeds. I mean, he mentioned henbit. That is a classic winter annual weed that a lot of people do struggle with. Mare's tail. We, we had a lot a bunch of dandelions show up on our farm, and I'm going, what in the world? Dandelions in the field? Well, you switch tillage practices, and now you're going to get some different weeds. So that does, in some cases, mean you have to make a change. So he ran into the exact same problem that we ran into, where our spring burn down just flat out didn't work good enough on these winter annuals. And so one year I got sick of it and I'm like, guys, we're going to go, we're going to stop the combines for a couple afternoons. We got nice couple days coming up, 70 degrees in the afternoons. We're just going to go spray. And so that's what we did for a couple of days. And this was probably 10, 12 years ago now. And we went out with a quart to Banville. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even at the time look at the label or anything. I didn't know for sure a quart was going to be acceptable. Uh, But it is if you're doing it in the fall. But I just said, we have a disaster out here. I mean, I'm embarrassed for our fields and our farming methods. We're we're ending this right now. And we did. And it literally eliminated our mare's tail and dandelion problem in one shot. So, and at the time, the dicamba, I mean, it was generic Banville. It was really inexpensive. So I just said, I don't mind spending five extra dollars to go from a pint rate up to a quart rate. That's okay. Let's just do it. And anyway, yeah, we didn't have to do that every year either. I don't know. I mean, we've hardly done that since, but just the one time was enough on our farm to get ahead on the weeds because we were falling behind. And you know how it is on your farm. If you start getting behind, all of a sudden, nothing seems to work well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. No, waiting for the music. There we go. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, so I think that question from Robert was perfect because it leads us right into our next question. It comes in from Larry, who is down in southwest Arkansas. He said, we've used the three pre's on our soybeans here in southwest Arkansas. Good success. We plant beans on beds for row irrigation. Guys planted some beans before rain and didn't get them sprayed. Could we have sprayed before bedding and not reduced our potential stand or residual. That is, spray, spray the three pre's, yep. then bed the ground, 
and then plant. Can we do it that way? Or otherwise, we've been building the beds, then spraying the three breeze. Yeah, building and then spraying is probably the way to go. So this is what we'll always tell you. We love pre-plant incorporated herbicides. We love early pre's. So spraying way in front of planting when it's cold and nothing's growing. I mean, just get it done. That way, you know, you're in good shape. You don't have to worry about rain coming right after you planted and you don't get the stuff sprayed. But here's the problem. If you move a whole bunch of dirt, then what kind of dirt are you moving? If you haven't had rain on that, then it hasn't soaked in very well. It's laying in the soil surface, and now you literally kicked it out of the row, or you put a whole bunch into the row. So that, I'm sure, is where he's worried about, all right, well, if I was to kick a bunch more into the row, could that potentially hurt my beans? Yeah, it's possible. Because you think about Metribuzin, for example, if you go, let's say, a 4x rate, um, yep, it, it could have activity on those beans and, and hurt them a little bit. Same thing with Valor or Authority or, or just about any herbicide, quite frankly. There are limits. I don't care what crop we're talking about or what residual herbicide. There are limits on how much you want to get out there, so we just have to be careful. And so if I was doing it real early and I got plenty of rain on it and then I, I moved a bunch of dirt then it's not as big a concern. So just let's put it this way. We already have enough worry in farming already. I would kind of hate to add to my worry by doing that. I'd prefer to just kind of be right behind the planter or right behind building the bed and then spray. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. Farmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. 
Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I was hoping I could tease this one just a little bit before we got going, but as it turned out, we'll just start fresh here. So this one comes from John over in southeastern Minnesota, and John sent in manure analysis, uh, and he said, guys, uh, you often talk about being careful not to put on too much salt with the manure. Would you be so kind as to look at this sample and give a recommendation as to how much we could apply just from the salt perspective? It was dry here. Now it won't quit raining, but eventually we'll get this stuff put on. Um, okay, here's the problem with the test. There is a soluble salts thing, but it's based on electrical conductivity. I, I, I mean, I'm not used to working with that, I'll be honest. So when we send manure in for analysis and we've done this for decades now we, we we send it to midwest labs and i don't care what lab you want to send it to but on their test what we're after is all these different nutrients which thankfully he does have a lot of the different nutrients the same ones that we're looking for like nitrogen phosphorus potassium sulfur many of the micronutrients and sodium so these are all important his sodium level by the way is per 1000 gallons about identical to what ours is. I'm looking at a current test here that was just pulled in the last couple of weeks. Uh, actually, last week it was pulled. Uh, and it was 9 pounds per 1,000 gallons. Okay, so no real super high concern on the sodium there. But what I'm worried about is like on our test, we get total salts. And it tells us how many pounds of total salt we have per 1,000 gallons. And his test doesn't show that. So that's really what I need. I, 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 I can't answer the question because I, I just don't have the data. And if this would help me, I don't know how to make the conversion. So maybe I'm just not smart enough. But <laughs> I'll put it this way. Um, I like simple, and I love it when the lab just tells me, okay, like here's uh, – I'm just reading right off this, the uh, manure test that I got last week from the dairy that we work with, and we took a whole bunch of manure this spring. I, I'm not super comfortable with that, by the way, a lot of years, but we had a dry spring. We've had three years of drought now, so plenty dry out there. We weren't worried about mudding anything in, and the dairy said we'd really we'd feel a lot more comfortable if we just got some of this manure out in the spring, and we said, sure, no big deal. We're raising a bunch of silage corn anyway. We're not in any huge rush to get planting, so we got about two, three days of corn planting left because we had that manure put on last week. Anyway, our number from last week says 53.2 pounds per 1,000 gallons, so with Midwest Labs, and right on their test, they're going to tell you 
total manure salts should not exceed 500 pounds per acre, and you want less than 500 pounds per acre if annual rainfall is less than 25 inches and or the CEC is less than 12. So those are the couple factors or the few factors that we're looking at, and that's based on Midwest Labs and what they say. Now, what what should it be exactly for your farm and how many pounds of salt can you get by with? Let's put it this way. The heavier your ground, granted, you got to have good drainage to make sure this leaches out. The heavier your ground and the more rainfall, the more salt you can get by with. And definitely there are some crops that are more tolerant to salt and others aren't. So with corn, it's somewhat tolerant to salt, but you got to be at least a little bit careful. Over time, we don't want to have this great big salt buildup. And even in the short term, what we do see is people putting on excessive rates and hurting their crop in that year. That's a big time problem. We're not trying to hurt yields out there. We got to help yields. So anyway, if let's say we're going for 500 pounds, that means we can roughly put on 10,000 gallons of manure, which is exactly what we did. So we're kind of pushing it, in my opinion. I don't love the fact that we went to 10,000 gallons. I'd be a lot more comfortable if we were down at six or 8,000, but we did 10,000. Let's put it this way too. We'll do some crazy things. Please don't do all the crazy things we do. But we, we do some stuff in part because we say, look, we farm a lot of acres and we're going to learn. And we don't want to learn on two acres or something like that, or 0.2 acres. We like learning on a few hundred acres. And then you can really see in some varying soil types, varying conditions, different varieties. Oh, this is a problem or, oh, no, this actually works pretty well. So I personally like making mistakes because, and we like pushing things to the excess to find out, all right, what are the limits? Where do we run into problems? And we work with farmers all over the United States and really around the world as well, just talking through different agronomic issues. Well, I can talk with a lot more uh, confidence when we've made all kinds of mistakes, we push stuff, and we've worked with all these thousands of farmers all over the place in all these different conditions. We're trying to find where do things fail and where are things most likely to succeed? And granted, there's no guarantee in almost anything in agriculture. Stuff can happen. But our objective here is to try to help you navigate through all these challenges that are out there and all these other people that are telling you, oh, yeah, just go ahead and do this. Or, oh, yeah, I'm sure this will be fine. And um, We're trying to be the voice of reason, and we're trying to help you be successful in the good and the bad times. So I apologize, but I can't give you a good answer on this particular test because I just don't have all the information that I need. And it's real simple. I just tell the lab, look, I got to know how many pounds of salt would I have per thousand gallons? If you give me that number, then we can go from there. All right. Uh, get another question or follow-up question here from JP down in Brazil. I sent a question yesterday about nutrient. Oh, I gave you the wrong thing. Sorry. I need that first part. There we go. Oh, my goodness. Well, hold on. <laughs> yeah, hold Darren, on. Darren handed me the smallest there's some, print there's some that, that are bigger. ever There's seen. some that are bigger in there. He sent a bunch of soil <laughs> tests. Now, I don't know if you necessarily. It's roughly a million numbers on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. All right, first, so, yeah, first of all, I'm JP, sure this will go well. good job pulling a lot of soil <laughs> samples. That's awesome, and it's a great way to do it. And you're going to see really quickly, Brian, what he's been doing with this. <laughs> okay. He said, all right, guys, I, I forgot to, to say about some of the things that I sent you yesterday, so uh, just 
to clarify, first of all, the micros are a DTPA extraction. Okay, so it's, that's our concern with manganese. We really worry about manganese, and I'll be honest, I'm not making manganese applications based on a DTPA test to the level he was talking about, which was 100 pounds of manganese sulfate. Would I consider putting on 5 pounds? Sure. I'm not doing 100 pounds just with the DTPA test. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, so yes, we, we if, if you're listening today and you weren't listening yesterday, you might just uh, check yesterday's show out as well for, for the rest of JP's question. But uh, he said, guys, we're, we're double cropping here. We're raising 78 bushel beans and 220 bushel corn seed. Uh, he said the seed corn is a great deal because we're, we're only extracting 70 to 100 bushels per acre, but we're getting paid for 180 to 230 uh, plus a bonus. So wait, wait, wait. Fantastic. I thought you said 78 bushel beans and 220 bushel corn. They're raising seed corn. So they're getting paid for 220 bushel. Oh, okay. Based so on it's what really they're doing. not. Yeah, they're, right. they're extracting gotcha. the equivalent of 70 to 100, depending on the hybrid. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, uh, JP, tell me if I'm wrong on that, but that's what I'm I'm uh, figuring out from what you said here. Uh, anyway, you said we, we do need to put a lot of fertilizer on, though, when you're raising two crops per season. Uh, absolutely. And so we're trying to maintain our levels. I have. I've read Neil Kinsey's book that you suggested, and I have started to push fertility on our farm. And I know it isn't going to solve all our problems, but we're trying to get it, it right. Solves a lot of problems. And I just judging by what you said yesterday, what Neil has said, I probably should be pushing more phosphorus since I've got some levels uh, that are a little <laughs> bit lower, uh, that are yep. 15 to 60 part per million yep. Malik numbers. But it's not cheap either. So nope. just kind of curious what you think on this and if the DTPA knowledge changes anything for you. Uh, yes, it does on that manganese. We, I had just said yesterday, hey, I prefer to have the Malik 3 test because then I know what's really in the soil. The DTPA, the higher the pH, the lower your manganese number, period. So it can skew the data, and all of a sudden you think, oh, I have no manganese. Well, actually, you have a whole bunch of manganese, and it may come available. It's probably less likely to come available in the higher pH, but it could. And I don't want to put a whole bunch of stuff out there if it isn't going to give me a positive return on investment. So our advice yesterday was at least try some on a very small scale. But 100 pounds of manganese sulfate, like he was talking about yesterday, that's really expensive. So I got to be super confident that's going to pay off. Anyway, in terms of the phosphorus level, yes, we would be pushing phosphorus. And especially when you've got two crops you're taking off each year, even in lighter soil, um, phosphorus isn't going to leach. But you know what? You're going to pull a whole bunch out with big time soybean yields and then corn yield of any sort. So corn needs a lot of phosphorus. And then also the, the other thing that we talked about a little bit yesterday is just look at your phosphorus to zinc ratio and, and start fine tuning that over time. That's been a big thing on our farm, phosphorus to zinc and also the phosphorus to copper ratio. Thanks for the questions, JP. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your support as well. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.